Welcome on in to another week of the Locked On Syracuse podcast. Tyler Aki and Tim Leonard, the only place for daily orange podcasts. Today's show brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Check out the show on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. Today, we're rebuilding the football program, Tim. Great article <laughs> on The Athletic by Matthew Gutierrez. A three-step plan to reboot Syracuse football from former coaches and players. But before we get into that, a couple of birthdays from over the weekend that I want to get to. First of all, Dino Babers, the head coach of this football program that we're about to rebuild, yes. he had a birthday. Did you see the post that his daughter wrote? Yeah, Tasha that was Babers? awesome. It was awesome. Occasionally it was, great. Ha- what did she say exactly? Bir- it was happy birthday to a guy who's consistently good and occasionally great. Yes. What? That's a that's a hell of a tweet right there. And the other one is to our guy Justin Knight, the former cross-country runner for the Orange who came on this show and, and was awesome with us about a month or two ago. So yeah. happy birthday to you as well, Justin. Also a listener of the podcast right. as well. One of our favorite so, interviews to date still. He was awesome. Yeah. Uh, no, definitely, yeah. Probably my favorite interview I've ever done was with Justin Knight, and that was that was awesome. He was awesome, and I'm sure we'll have him on again at some point. All right, let's get into this football stuff because, boy, I mean, this was pretty heavy from yeah. Goody on The Athletic, the three-step plan, basically what he did. He talked to a bunch of former players, former coaches, some named, some anonymous, but there's some relatively big names that are used in this article uh, when you go through it. So how are you, how are you going to rebuild this program if you're Syracuse? And again, you've seen the tick point a little bit up. You saw the 10 and 3 season, but again, it's as we kind of mentioned with the Tasha Babers tweet. It's all about being consistently good, not occasionally great. And right now, the Dino Babers era has been occasionally great. And I think that's the best way to put what this program has been since he took it over about five years ago. Four and eight, four and eight, then ten and three, then five and seven. But along the way, there have been big wins sprinkled in pretty much every single year, except this past year, there has been a signature win on the schedule. Yeah, so there's been a ton of what-ifs, obviously, since Pascaloni leaves between Doug Marone leaving for the NFL when things were starting to get on the right tracks there, I guess the entire Greg Robinson era, what if you... Dumpster fire. I always think, what if you just fired Greg Robinson a little bit earlier? Because by the time Marone came, it was was still like there was something there a little bit, and they weren't that far. Yeah, you got to pick up the the scraps before you, you lay the foundation. Right. They weren't that far removed from 2001 and Donovan McNabb in 1998 and that time period. So there was still some sort of base there, but I I think it's interesting, and for those that don't have a subscription to The Athletic, which you should if you don't, I'm sure they're doing some free deals right now. The three-step plan, how they laid it out, and we can kind of break these into different segments as we go through this, but step one in no particular order was upgrading the facilities then recruiting in state and focusing on kind of getting back to picking up the best talent that New York has to offer and that Northeastern area where they've maybe gone away from a little bit. And then the third step, which was kind of the most damning maybe on where the state of athletics is at, was kind of alumni relations. And Goody 
talking to some of those anonymous players and some players that came forward and said their name. Yeah, that was kind of tough to read. Yeah, on just the state of why they feel like they should be invited back more and there's not a lot of interest in promoting the alumni or getting them to the games, which was not great. But I guess we should start with the facilities part, right? Well, okay, before we dive into it, yeah, how would you rank these in terms of the importance of which you would put if you're because again Rome wasn't built overnight so you're gonna have to go brick by brick a little bit and I think they're again you can work in tandem with a lot of these things but you got to put some priority into a bunch of them to me I think the big thing is you got to improve the facilities because yeah that's part two in terms of aggressively recruiting and, and getting the former players more active in the on game day it doesn't come without the facilities so I would say the order of importance goes facilities, recruiting, alumni relations. What about you? Yeah, I'm right there. I, I think that's how I'd order it as well. I would say recruiting, the tough part is I feel like that just more wins leads to better recruiting, right? So mm-hmm. for me, how do you get to the more wins part? I guess you, you have to identify some diamonds in the rough, which I think they've done a little bit in the Dino era. No doubt, but yep. I think totally the facilities. It's the easiest one to fix, and it's honestly the one that we've been talking about, not on this podcast because we didn't have it yet, but probably off air for three, four years now. Like when we were at Syracuse, I don't think there's really any way to sugarcoat this. The facilities have improved a little bit, but when you're a recruit pulling up to that South Campus section and then you pull up to Manly, And the outside of it just really needs a facelift. Like, it just doesn't have any pop whatsoever. The Carmelo portion looks decent where there's the basketball area. But to me, the outside just screams a building that's been there too long and has not had a facelift. And the inside even, comparatively speaking to some of these other programs in the ACC, really lags behind. I think just the entire South Campus area in terms of if you're an athlete and you're going to be an athlete at Syracuse, you're going to live on South Campus basically for all of your years, probably definitely for your first year for sure and your second year, it seems like, for most of these guys. It's just convenient, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know, those South Campus apartments just could be a lot better compared to what some of these— Okay, so I lived in a South Campus apartment. I lived in pretty much the same— areas that a lot of these athletes lived in okay and for me it got the job done it was nice but maybe my one qualm with it is it's a little far from the campus itself like you can't really walk to campus it's it's about a a mile walk to the campus whereas for the athletes it's kind of right there to all your facilities you could in essence if you had your location pinned right you could walk to yeah, facilities if you needed to, or it's just it's the a outdoor aesthetic but, of it. I, I I know what you're about I mean, to yeah, say. Like, a, they inside look like it's barracks. fine, but outside to me, it just does not look like an inviting. Oh wow, I'm really excited to live here as a freshman. Like they're hooking me up here yeah. as an athlete. No, they're they're 100 army barracks. That's what they look like from the outside. And yeah. anyone that drives by that area knows what I'm talking about. So I think too. When, when you look at the, the, the facilities themselves that these guys work in, first of all, if I'm a football recruit 
and I'm on a visit, and I see lacrosse players practicing on the same spots that I see uh, the football yard lines marked out and the field goal posts hanging, I'm probably a little turned off by That's that. That's weak. Yeah. Because I shouldn't be fi- sharing a facility with the lacrosse team. I'm a football player. I should be treated as royalty on this campus in terms of the facilities and the amenities that I'm treated to. And while that sounds harsh, the reality is if you care about bringing in money to the athletic department, which all of these athletic departments do care about, then you better care about what the state of your football program is because football is the moneymaker. Again, pretty much every single school in the FBS, their number one moneymaker is football. Even these, some of these big basketball programs, the number one moneymaker is football. I mean, just look at Syracuse this past season, all right? Who was the highest paid employee at Syracuse University? It wasn't Jim Beheim. It was yeah. Dino Babers. Now, I think Jim Beheim has also given or taken very program-friendly deals. Like, he, he kind of gives off the Tom Brady vibe in his contracts year <laughs> to year. And, yeah. and listen – He's he's been going at it for 40 plus years now to the point where maybe money isn't priority number 1 for him. I mean, he's not going to go take another job at this point in his career. So, he's he's definitely done the university a huge solid, I think, and the, they've been able to use some of those other dollars to go allocate and help build some of these other facilities, especially in the basketball program as well. But yes, that's the stuff that I think matters a lot. You cannot yeah, be sharing a space with lacrosse. Right. I'm sure if we got the chance to talk to John Wildhack about this, he'd talk about how they have made some improvements recently, but it's all relative. It's comparatively speaking to the rest of the ACC. And the game right now in high-stakes college football is these facilities are all the craze. They're all the interest for these oh, yeah. recruits. and. If you're between Syracuse and another ACC school right now, that could literally be a tiebreaker. It's, you know, it's interesting because you don't want the anything off the field to be a tiebreaker. No, right. right. And I think and you're already working from behind with the weather that you're going to deal with in Syracuse. Totally. And I thought it was interesting how Goody noted that they made it a point now to only bring football players up in the fall, which. I don't right. know why it took so long to realize that if if it did take long, but <laughs> makes perfect sense to me. You know, it's kind of like the gym at Syracuse. And for those that aren't still near the campus or whatnot, they just put in this new barn center at the arch, which is state of the art, much better. And when I went on my tour to see the actual Syracuse campus as just a general student, I was like, why didn't we go to the gym at all yet? And I asked the tour guide that, and she said, that's the number one question I get, and honestly, we're working on renovating it. But remember, right around the time that we were going to college, gyms were kind of a craze, and colleges and universities were putting a lot more money into gyms, and all these rock walls started popping up, and that was the cool thing. And now Syracuse has it, but honestly... They're four or five years behind the curve there, and it was like out of just pure necessity that they finally got there. I think facilities is trending that way. I mean, the game right now is to lean into the facilities, and they have not leaned into that whatsoever. Now, they have added some little things, and they just got this donation gift, which hopefully... I mean, that's the number one thing right now for John Wildhack. If I'm the athletic director of Syracuse, 
my first day on the job, if I was hired tomorrow, I would sit down and say, all right, how can we raise money? How do we put together a plan to upgrade Manly and upgrade the football facilities and just the entire South Campus experience? Well, just for a little bit of context here, who say, well, how Syracuse supposed to compete with an LSU or a Clemson or an Alabama in terms of facilities? Well, LSU just redid their facilities. They're the reigning national champions, and for $28 million, redid their facilities. You've got your sleep chambers, you've got all your high-tech fancy stuff, your meeting rooms, and all that stuff. For $28 million, and it looks really nice. I was at the University of Miami's new facilities. They're super nice, and they just had redone them. And, I mean, I, I don't know how much all of that ran them up, but Syracuse just got that gift for $25 million. If yeah. LSU redid their facilities for twenty-eight. You can get something pretty comparable for 25 And to be honest, I mean, obviously not every single dollar is going to be poured into football, but I would imagine a majority of it is. And again, like I mentioned, if you care about football and if you care about money, then you should really care about making sure this football team is successful and winning. And I mean, Clemson, you, you ready for all the amenities that are in Clemson's new and improved facilities you're gonna hear some of this stuff and be like what the hell like why would yeah, you yeah i've put seen that it the slide and everything in, i mean yeah it's all nuts. right so we, you've got a slide that goes from the first and second floors a room dedicated only to displaying clemson's nike gear a nap room a basketball court a wiffle ball field a mini golf Jeez. course bowling lanes and a barber shop all of that for a football program. Now, some people and that's will why say they're among the best. They're in a different league, but in order to try to chip away at their league, you have to play this game. It is all relative. Right now, I have some friends that are pretty big time football, like went to pretty big time football schools. If they came up and visited Syracuse and checked it out with me, I'd be embarrassed to go by those football facilities, especially if we just looked at it from the outside. And be like, yeah, this is where our uh, ACC football team, you know, warms up. This is their facility right here. Some people might think I'm overreacting, but I really think my friends who are fan- went to Miami and Georgia Tech even, like some of these schools that are down south, if they saw it, they'd be like, no wonder you guys win four games a year right now. I mean, that's yeah. that's really how I feel about it. The facilities have got to improve. Yeah, we haven't even touch the surface of the dome either which i think we should hit on briefly when we come back but first got to tell you guys about rockauto.com with the ever-increasing number of makes and models of cars these days it's pretty much impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront but hey guess what that doesn't mean you don't need to repair your car and maintain it as well to save money that's where rock auto comes in why would you choose to spend 30 50 maybe even 100 percent more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or new car dealership rockauto.com also offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market is like 
RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require a membership or account login at all. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and DIYers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck, and don't forget, write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you again right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we're the ones who sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com all right so we just went pretty long on there just talking about practice facilities we're talking about practice not games not games (laughs) right we're talking about practice now it's time to get into some of the game stuff because the Carrier Dome, although it's going through some renovations right now, it's still not great. And as much as people love the dome, the way that it pops on the skyline and whatever you think now of the roller coaster that's on top of the roof, you know, maybe that's what they need. They need to turn that into an actual roller coaster. Yeah, on that top would get the, the kids' How attention. About that, huh? Yeah. Exactly. So. All of these things, while they're superficial in in theory, the, the fact is is that it's what it takes to win, and you see it pretty much everywhere. So the Carrier Dome is going through these renovations. You're getting a, a new roof, a jumbotron, air conditioning, better bathrooms, concessions, all that stuff, and it's going to be spread out over a period of time here, but... Let's be honest, the the dome, it's a concrete building, it looks old, it looks grungy on the inside, and if I'm from out of town, listen, I think I'm going to the dome one time just to say I went to see a game, and this is both basketball and football, I'm going once to say I've seen a game, but I don't know, like, what's the allure of coming back, unless you're going to the Duke game every year, or, or a big game, UNC, something, Georgetown, UConn. What's the alert to bring you back to the Dome? Yeah, and listen, I, I've only rattled off basketball games there. I mean, football, it's really Clemson, and maybe that's about it, unless the team is really, really good. It's weird because I think it is right at the tippy top in terms of I want to make a road trip and just go check out this place. And I'm just a college football, college basketball nerd, and mostly college basketball just because they're the team that's playing well right now, and it's so unique from a basketball standpoint. But it's right at the tippy top of that. But to your point, I don't know how many people have the willingness to go back or are rushing to get back there because it is so far away and then also it's like you do it once and you can check it off type of thing you know i was thinking about the facilities and just the dome in general we've seen kind of an uptick in recruiting in this 2021 cycle to an extent i mean i wouldn't say that it's earth shattering or anything but i feel like they're off to a good start in this cycle and in a better spot in this cycle than I think they were at in 2020 for sure at this time. And I wonder how much of that is the virtual tour 
kind of helping them that maybe some of these kids, and I know a guy like Justin Lampson, who they just got, who we really like at the quarterback position, did go check out the campus. But we've talked to a number of these kids who have not seen the campus. And we've seen the virtual tour. You can go look at it on Syracuse Online if you just put it in YouTube or something. I'm sure it will pop up. The virtual tour shows off everything. It's even got Stephen A. Smith talking at one point. It, I shouldn't say it shows off everything. It shows off all the good stuff. It doesn't show off the ugly right. outside to South Campus and the ugly outside to Manly. It shows off the cool things. So maybe there's something to be said that, you know, when a kid can't actually come to the campus, they're getting to see enough of the facilities and they're like, oh, this passes the test of what the other... Because if you play the virtual tour video of Pittsburgh and Syracuse or... I don't know who else Duke maybe, or Duke's probably a bad example. UNC and Syracuse. NC state. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you could distinguish that Syracuse is lagging behind as much as if you actually went to the campus. Right. And some people may say in terms of what I'm saying about the carrier dome too. Well, why do the players care about the concessions or the Wi-Fi or all that stuff in the dome? Well, sure. They don't care. But, yeah, right, the families, they care because they want to come up and, and have incentive to visit aside from just seeing their child play. But on top of that, if you want to build the environment that the Carrier Dome needs for it to be the real effective home field advantage that it can be, and listen, I mean, that 2018 season, you could feel the home field advantage. If you want it to be like that 2018 season was in terms of the advantage you were getting – Every single game with the the loudness and and the just the atmosphere of everything, then you need to give fans a reason to come. And if there's no reason to come because your stadium is subpar in terms of the manage or not the management, but the but the the atmosphere and the experience that you're providing, then yeah, it's not going to work well for you. And so you do need. All of those superficial things if you want to expand the fan base. I mean, look at Duke. There's the allure of Cameron Indoor and, and all that. And that's why you get all these bandwagons. And th- all of a sudden, Cameron Indoor becomes a bucket list item. Yeah. Or you look at Bryant-Denny Stadium down in Alabama or Death Valley, both in LSU and at Clemson. The Rose Bowl. I mean, these are bucket list items. Carrier Dome is a bucket list item for basketball because it's one of the biggest basketball stadiums that you'll find, not just in college sports, but in all of sports. And on top of that, I mean, that's why Syracuse has had success on the basketball side. Meanwhile, on the football side, it's one of the smaller stadiums in the Power Five. Yeah, I think... John Wildhack, again, if he was on this podcast, he'd tell you we're focusing on the Dome now, and I'd hope his next point would be, all right, we're going to get to the facilities, but we just poured a ton of money into the Dome, and they should have done that. The Dome was honestly probably more pressing because it attacks both sports, so that's kind of the final thing I'll say on that. I just hope that the facilities, I think that is literally the most important thing right now for getting that football program back to where it needs to be. They have to lean in more to that game of, what is the facilities right now? That is all the craze, and kids care about that more than maybe they're willing to admit over there at the football program. And you know what the frustrating part of it all is? Everything's going to pretty much hit a stalemate, I feel like, for these next couple of years because maybe these alumni with the pandemic and everything going on, they're not writing the checks, or if they are writing the checks, maybe they're not as big, 
as they once were because, again, not a lot of people have made a ton of money during these past couple of months, and who knows how long this is going to drag out for as well. All right, let's get to item number two here, and that's recruiting because I think this is something you're, you can't get you can't see that giant uptick in recruiting unless you start to see the uptick on the the play on the field. And of course you got to give them a reason to come. If you build it, they will come as the old field of dreams quote goes. When we come back, we'll get into the recruiting part of this article. The Northeast recruiting really has not been where it used to be. We'll tell you about that next. It seems like the Northeast has not been as heavily recruited as it once was. And that seems to be a a common complaint among a lot of these players that Matthew Gutierrez talked to in this article. So I pulled up under the Dino Babers era. I'm not talking about New York here. I'm talking about the Northeast when I bring up these numbers. In 2017, nine of the 26 guys from the Northeast. 2018, eight of the 21 guys. 2019, 7 of the 20 guys. Hmm. 2021, 5 of the 14 guys. And then in 2020, 8 of the 23 players are from the Northeast. Those are very, very, very small numbers in the grand scheme of things. So I will say this. You're not going to find a ton of talent up in the Northeast when you're searching for football players, which I totally get. But at the same time, you can't be losing out on a lot of these. It's not like these players don't pop up. It's not like this is Vermont where these players never appear or they appear once every five to seven years. No, this is New York. It's still a, a huge state. I mean, you've got the biggest city in the world, so you're bound just by pure statistics to find some talent to some degree. I mean, you look at even in your own backyard, some of these guys that you either have put a half-hearted effort into or – you have lost out on straight up, it's kind of frustrating, especially at the running back position when Syracuse, I mean, you look at some of the greatest running backs in college football history. They have come out of Syracuse's program. Now, those are from a long time ago. But lately, I mean, you look at Latavius Murray. He he didn't come to Syracuse. Stevie Scott, you had him in your backyard. He goes to Indiana and is an all-conference Big Ten rusher. Now, you look at 2021, Seven McGee, a Rochester kid, four-star running back. He goes across the country to Oregon. 2020, Tyreek Murphy, four-star running back, top New York guy, Purdue. You're losing out in-state to some of these schools that should not be encroaching on your territory. I mean, Adisa Isaac, a guy who Syracuse was heavily involved with, top 100 defensive end, goes to Penn State, who I guess is regional and a, a much bigger football school than Syracuse is, but you got to at some point, turn the tide if you want to really start making a splash in the ACC. Yeah, obviously Ray Wrights was one of the big ones initially when things started to right. kind of hit mm-hmm. the fan there. I, You know, Pascaloni, obviously, that was his tactic. He had tons of recruiting base in the Northeast. I don't care a ton if they are only taking nine or ten guys a year. I just want them to make sure that they're getting the guys that are close by and the guys that are realistic gets. And I don't want them to miss out on someone like Stevie Scott, who wasn't super highly ranked. And then all of a sudden he was right there for the taking. He goes to Indiana and proves that he was worthwhile for Syracuse to go after him, maybe harder than they did or try to get him a little bit more. 
I think recruiting as a whole, I care more about just recruiting nationally, improving or recruiting in the country, improving than just the recruiting in the Northeast. Because I do think times have changed. The Northeast is not producing as many stars, and you laid out a couple there, but realistically, I think but it those makes aren't sense. like five star can't miss yeah. guys. Like th- those are four star guys. They're nice adds to the program, right? And Dino's never really had. A, he's talked about how he wants more of a base in the Northeast. He's never really had a base in the Northeast to begin with. So he's going down to Florida, and I like the Florida stuff. I mean, that's yeah, so it's a I. pretty big result. So I'm not too upset about not attacking the Northeast a ton because I do think times have changed. I think the biggest thing with recruiting that I always fall back on is in order to get better recruits, you've got to win. And I think I'm really leaned in now to the tactic of let's schedule. And I think they are doing this some non-conference games that make it so that we have a pretty easy path to getting to six wins, to getting to a bowl game, to maybe winning a bowl game and getting some more national exposure that way, because these, these recruits don't want to play for a four and eight club. At least yeah, if you're I mean, six hang and banners. six. Hang right, seven your bowl and banners. Six. I don't care how you do it. Like, next year, obviously, it's Rutgers, Colgate, Western Michigan, Liberty is on the calendar non-conference-wise. The year after that, Ohio, Rutgers, Albany, Liberty. Now, maybe we should kick Liberty off the schedule, but that's a whole different conversation. I, I think that's good. And some people might say, throw a Penn State in there, throw an old-time rival. I get that. I... I I miss those days and I wish we were at that point, but I want to get to bowl games like two in the past decade. I think it was, that's not acceptable. And I know you had some bad luck with Dungy a couple of these years, but Dino to me, he's got to get to another bowl soon. Like if this season happens, bowl game is at at minimum the expectation he can't go well I, I don't think there's going to be a bowl system this year okay but yeah whenever the bowl system whenever does you return. get a chance because to go four out of five chances where you don't get to a bowl or go one for five and i know they had a great camping world bowl but i think you've got to plan a schedule where you're getting wins because what does wins do it cures everything it gets more fans in the stadium it gets more exposure for the program it gets them on some national tv games and there's a trickle down effect there i i'm really fine with them at this stage scheduling ohio scheduling a road game at western michigan because i want them to get to bowls because i think bowls do yield more of these results and then it will yield more recruits as well yeah listen i mean recruits aren't coming in and checking the schedule every single of the past seasons to see, oh, well, it's cupcake, cupcake, cup. I mean, even Alabama's schedule, I mean, all these schools do it, okay? I mean, Alabama's schedule is your UT Martins, the Citadel. I mean, all of these schools, they do it. They have to do it. It's the only way to fill out a schedule. So I will say this, one more thing on the, the New York recruiting front, too. What I don't understand is why they haven't continued, and I know they, they offer a, a ton of guys every year, and I'm not saying they haven't offered all these top guys in New York, but you are the only school in the state of New York that plays major college sports at the football level. So how are you not treated as, and and you're going to call yourself New York's college team. If you're not pulling in the number one guy in New York, at least from time to time. Yeah. And and that just to me makes no sense. And, 
I mean, some of their top guys and their highest-rated guys have come out of New York. I mean, you look at, even though he hasn't played really, Kadir White was a highly touted guy. Trill Williams has been phenomenal for this team. He's a New York guy. Andre Sisko, I know he went to IMG, but he's from Long Island. He's a New York guy. He's going to go and, and be a, a top-tier NFL draft pick in, in the next year. So, I mean, between that and the fact that you're also seeing in here, and this is something we kind of already knew, but Ed Ogeron, there was mutual interest in making him the head coach. And as, as much as we if. love Dino, yeah, that's a great what if. But as much as we love Dino, and, and I, I honestly think he has put the program – in a position to succeed, despite the fact that we are trying to rebuild everything. Ed Ogeron, I think, was a, a go-getter, and not that Dino isn't, but he he has the relationships at a lot of these high places. I mean, you look at some of the places that he's coached in the past, with whether it's LSU or you look at USC, some of these high-profile programs. And that's not to say Dino hasn't. I mean, he's got the Baylors, he's got the Arizonas on his profile, his UCLA but that that's not USC that that's not LSU i mean those are the guys that have these relationships with a bunch of these high schools and can really really make something happen on the recruiting trail all right tim we've been running a little long here but before we go anything else you've got from this whole this article at least through sections 1 and 2 that we've yeah. gotten to yeah, I guess we'll just table alumni stuff for tomorrow. I do want to dive into that, and we'll get plenty of time to talk about that tomorrow. I mean, the Ed Ogeron thing, I'm glad you brought that up because that one kind of slips your mind too because it's really tough when you have literally the coach of the year in college football, a national champion, reach out to your program and say, I'm interested, and they, for all we know, didn't really reciprocate. So yeah, it stinks, but look, I, I think the program can get back to that point if they've done it before they can do it again and that's why we're having these conversations they have somewhat of a base there that is stronger than some of these other programs that are kind of their peers right now in the ACC whether it's Boston College even Pitt I mean I know Pitt has maybe won national titles way back when but it wasn't that long ago that Syracuse had Donovan McNabb it, it feels like forever ago right but, you know if if you did it once you can do it again all right, so tomorrow on the show, we're going to get into the entirety of the alumni engagement part of this article because that was probably the most embarrassing part of this entire thing, if you ask me. I don't know about you, Tim, but... Yeah, most surprising, the way that sure. it, We didn't know about that. probably the easiest fix, and it's also, like you said right there, it's probably the one that we knew the least about as well, so... We're going to get into that and whatever else pops along the, the newswire between now and tomorrow. So for Tim, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you tomorrow.